Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the Cape Breton Highlanders and the Shaping of Canada Conference. My name is Charlotte Clark, and this is Scott Markatich. Back in August, we were asked by Dr. Lachlan McKinnon, Associate Professor of History and Canada Research Chair T2, and Canada Research Chair Tier 2 in Post-Industrial Communities at Cape Breton University to create a podcast through a grant that was awarded to the Cape Breton Highlanders and the Shaping of Canada Conference and Military and Social History. The grant for this project came from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, which is the federal funding research agency that promotes and supports research and training in the humanities and social science. What is the purpose of the podcast? So the podcast is being produced to summarize and discuss themes of the Shaping of Canada conference. Not everybody has the time or ability to attend a conference in person, but podcasts are an easily accessible and more digestible format. Both of us attended this conference, we took notes, and enjoyed the different perspectives and stories that we heard over the course of both days. We will have four episodes in total, summarizing the major themes and papers at this conference, with guests appearing on each episode to discuss their work and how it relates to the broader context of Canada's military history. Episode 1 explores Cape Breton's military history and the Highland Unit and the Island at War. Episode 2 focuses on military and society, peace, conflict, and Canadian national identity. Episode 3 dives into histories of service and lived experiences of the Canadian military. And we wrap up with the fourth and final episode, which discusses commemorating Canada's military regarding heritage sites and the memory of warfare. Let's give a bit of context into who we are so that our audience can get a feel uh, for us, Charlotte. Uh, So my name is Scott Markatich. Uh, I am from Shelburne, Nova Scotia, but I've lived all over Nova Scotia and Canada. Um, I'm currently living in Inganish, uh, Nova Scotia. What I'm, stu- I'm studying um, his- a Bachelor of Arts uh, major in history at CBU. I'm kind of in my third year. I'm a transfer student. And uh, my connection to the Highlanders in military history, we basically, uh, like a lot of folk uh, who study history, uh, World War II is a big access point for me. Um, it actually started through video games, but video games work. And uh, yeah, I've just always kind of um, gravitated towards the military history, understanding the context and, you know, the circumstances that led to conflicts. And uh, yeah, this easily, this was a no brainer for me to uh, agree to uh, be a part of. 100%. And I, my name is Charlotte. Uh, I'm originally from Toronto, actually, and I came here to Cape Breton University to do my Bachelor's of Arts. Uh, I'm in my third year of the history program here, hoping to graduate by the end of this year. Um, and I didn't have much prior connection to the Cape Breton Highlanders. Uh, my dad was in the military, he was in the Navy, um, but it wasn't through the Highlanders unit. So I was kind of new coming to here and learning about uh, the, the deep connection that a lot of Cape Bretoners have with the Cape Breton Highlanders. Uh, in addition, my area of study isn't really related to military history. I kind of make the joke that once steam power comes in, I lose interest when it comes to history. But it's been such an amazing opportunity getting to learn more about military history. And I can say with full confidence that I've enjoyed every single moment of this opportunity. Yeah. And uh, I didn't answer the question earlier, but uh, my half my family is from Sydney. So I've got a very strong connection to uh, to whether it's the Highlanders or the steel plant and just the Whitney Pier area. Charlotte, were there any moments in the conference that really stood out to you? 
Uh, something that really stood out to me was the Tour of Valor evening. So this was an evening that happened uh, the night before the conference started, or I believe two nights before the conference started. Uh, they decorated CVU to represent all of the different places that the Highlanders had been, and they had uh, some food and some wine from the different places. And it was a really great opportunity for conference attendees and veterans to come together, have some drinks, and get to know each other before the conference started. How, how did, that's a great description. How did that make you feel? I think especially because this was an in-person conference and one of the first in-person conferences for many attendees since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, it was a really fantastic opportunity for community building um, and I had the privilege of connecting with some fantastic academics and veterans and chatting with them about their work. Uh, so for instance, I remember meeting Scott Sheffield during the Tour of Valor and having a great discussion with him about graduate school and his work. Um, and they also had some current active service members at the Cape Breton Highlanders there to talk about the history of the regiment. So I think it was just a really great way to kick off the amazing conference and it felt really great to be in a room with a bunch of people again, especially where all of us hadn't been able to do that for a couple of years. Absolutely. So Scott, were there any moments during the conference that stood out to you? Yeah, the presentation of the honorary degrees in the Boardmore Playhouse. How did that make you feel? The presentation itself was very emotional, uh, even out of, without a direct connection to the recipients on stage. Um, you know, seeing the connection between Cape Breton University and the Cape Breton Highlanders, you know, it was really something special to see with uh, President Dingwall on stage and just the fact that people, these, these men were being commemorated. Um, it was really something. Uh, although we are unable to ask every presenter to join us on the podcast, uh, please visit the conference website at shapingofcanada.ca uh, to learn more about each paper and presenter. We had a wide variety of contexts for the conference, and the conference could not have been organized without contributions and collaborations from Cape Breton University, the Cape Breton Highlanders Association, the Atlantic Memorial Park, and of course, our grant funding. So without further ado, let's start things off with our conversation with Mitchell Jabbly and his paper, Forgotten Stories, James Arthur Murphy and the Trent's Raids of Vimy Ridge. Mitchell Jabbly is a 2020 graduate of Dalhousie's Master's in Library and Information Studies program and recipient of the 2020 Council of Nova Scotia Archives Prize. Mitchell is passionate about the archival profession and when it comes to history, he enjoys the study of Canadian wartime history. At the Shaping of Canada conference, Mitchell presented Forgotten Stories, James Arthur Murphy, and the Trench Raids of Vimy Ridge. Uh, Mitchell, can you tell us more about yourself uh, and the paper? And also, is, is there anything that we missed? Anything else you'd like for us to add? No, uh, thank you, Scott. That was a great introduction. Uh, the only thing I'd like to add is that uh, since July, I've been now working at the uh, Cape Breton University uh, Beaton Institute as a uh, project archivist, uh, processing the collection of uh, uh, former Cape Breton Highlander uh, Charles Sharkey McDonald, and uh, it's been truly a pleasure going through uh, the uh, the records of, of a Cape Breton Highlander and then participating in the conference at the same time to seeing the discourse around uh, Cape Breton military history. Well, thank you for that, and uh, uh, we'll just jump right into the. Uh, so, how did you come to be interested in the history of the Cape Breton Highlanders? Uh, or in general, the island's military history. Like, wh why? Why do you care? Uh, well, for me, I've uh, I've always had an interest in history, and uh, you know, later developing more interest in military history. Uh, so I've been interested in that since I was a kid, and I think I've gotten that interest from my father, who was always a big 
history buff, so that kind of rubbed off on me. And uh, through school, I kind of took interest in that kind of thing. Uh, more or less really developed once I was in uh, university here at uh, Cape Breton University um, through writing a number of uh, different papers. Um, I through here wrote a, a paper on Vimy Ridge in the First World War. And that was kind of like the, the launch point for going into my fourth year when I wrote my honors thesis, which is the, 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 the point what we're talking about today, what I presented at the conference, which is just a piece of it. Um, I've always been really interested in that, and I've, it's kind of been slowly narrowing down from military history to Canadian military history to Nova Scotian to Cape Breton, even more narrowed into communities and individuals. Um, I've become a real fan of looking at not so much the broader events, but kind of the social context of looking at who the people were, where they come from, and how do they uh, contribute to that. Um, but yeah, no. And even from my work here in the Beaton Institute, I've learned so much more about uh, the men of the Cape Breton Highlanders and uh, how much of a legacy that unit has had since 1871 was when the uh, Victoria Regiment was first established. And going through a number of name changes and then coming into the 185th Battalion in the First World War to World War II and then persisting until today uh, where they still exist as a unit is, is quite the history. Thank you. And uh, I can also say from my own um, experience, my mother is the reason why I got into history. Uh, so the family connection is also here. Um, and I, I, I think we forgot to mention this detail, but you'd mentioned uh, you, you studied at uh, Cape Breton University. Do you want to just add that in? Uh, I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah, so I did my, my four years of my undergraduate of history here at Cape Breton University. I did history and honors, and uh, as I mentioned, completing my thesis, and that was uh, truly an exceptional experience. Uh, the faculty at, at Cape Breton University is, uh, at that time was, was just fantastic. It was a great group of professors that uh, made me more interested in the subject of history and, and helped me kind of uh, cultivate my abilities that led to writing of a thesis and then even going off to uh, graduate school to uh, pursue more education so I could come back and do more archival work as kind of like what I'm doing right now. And I just want to add one more little question. Um, you're a Cape Breton local. Where, where are you from, Mitchell? I'm from Gross Point in Bredore. Lived here all my life except for the brief few years that I had uh, lived in Halifax to do my master's, but born and raised Cape Bretoner. So that's great. Got, got to keep it local. Uh, <laughs> So in, in what ways do you think the long history of military conflict and service on the island has contributed to a sense of Cape Breton identity, if any? So I think Cape Breton is a really unique case study in that kind of sense, because military history is something that's ingrained within within our history, dating back to the English and French uh, in, in the 18th century. Um, like I just mentioned not too long ago, Cape Breton's own military began forming, you know, in small militia groups in the mid to late uh, 19th century with the Victoria Regiment that was formed in Bedeck that, you know, went through a number of different name changes, became a Highland unit. And, you know, by the turn of the 20th century was the 94th Victoria Regiment, which were Highlanders. When the First World War broke out, those, that unit, a lot of them were drafted from there and went to the 85th Battalion, which was the Nova Scotia Highlanders as well as the 185th Battalion, the Cape Breton Highlanders. Um, throughout the past 150 years, the, the Cape Breton Highlanders have been 
uh, a real source of pride for, for Cape Bretoners during both of the wars, um, despite different kinds of service between World War One and World War Two. Um, many Cape Breton men unfortunately uh, lost their lives in these conflicts, um, but it's, like I mentioned, became a source of pride that these people aren't forgotten, they're remembered. Like I had mentioned at the beginning, there's a Cape Breton Highlanders Memorial in Sydney that uh, every year there's their own their own service, like many of the cenotaphs around there for the men and women of those communities, but in this case it's unique because it's for a specific unit. Um, but while I think it, it is a great source of pride, um, I don't think that uh, it's not necessarily a defining part of Cape Breton identity, but it's something that definitely uh, contributes to the, the wide tapestry that is uh, Cape Breton culture. Wow, that, that's a, a great point. And you had mentioned uh, off microphone earlier that uh, you'd actually attended a Remembrance Day ceremony yesterday. So we're recording this uh, on November 12th. So sorry, it's not quite live. But do you want to just sort of describe that experience and, and what it was like yesterday, what the atmosphere was like, uh, especially as you had mentioned that due to the pandemic uh, last year, there weren't a lot of services. So for a lot of people, you know, they didn't have that opportunity. So how did it feel? It, it was a great experience. Uh, I mean, I've been to many different Remembrance Day services uh, in my time, um, but this was my first time attending the, the Cape Breton Highlanders one, and I felt this year it was especially poignant for me to go to it, not only because of their 150th anniversary, but because I've been working so closely and, and getting into their, their history and just more of the stuff that I've been doing recently, going through photographs. I've been looking at a lot of photographs of the graves of men who gave their lives in the Second World War and seeing their headstones, seeing how young some of these men were that, that lost their lives. And going to that Remembrance Day service kind of just makes it all come around to remember these these individuals. And uh, it's, it's not just me, there's many people around Cape Breton who have a family connection to, the, to these men. So a lot of these men came from small communities around the island and that, that legacy is still around through social media and everything. I see all kinds of comments saying, oh, I had a grandfather, I had a great uncle, I had a father serve within the Cape Breton Highlanders. And people still remember and people still come out to show that they care for these Remembrance Day ceremonies. No, thank, thank you again. That was a, a really poignant point that I think is particularly strong here on the island because uh, I, I'm fairly new to the island. Uh, my family's from here, but in the short time I've been here, um, just mentioning that I'm working on this project with the Highlanders, mm -hmm. there are loads of connections. Lots of people say, oh, my, you know, my great uncle, my grandfather, a family member, a distant relative. I mean, it's, no, I, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, and in your presentation and your paper at your honors thesis, you had discussed uh, James Arthur Murphy and the trench war, trench raids of Vimy Ridge. Uh, how do you think that this topic can contribute to a wider understanding uh, of military history on Cape Breton Island? Well, I think James' story provides uh, another lens in which to look at uh, the Cape Breton at war. Um, there's many different examples, and everyone you look at will will give you a different answer. Um, James' story gives you a background of what he come, where he comes from. It's a rural, small rural community in northeastern Marguerite. Uh, I go out how his, what his family origins are. So he comes from a family of Irish immigrants who had come from Ireland, who then went to Newfoundland, 
then we're in other parts of Nova Scotia, like uh, uh, Antigonish, and then finally settled in, in Marguerite. Uh, how it talks about how being from Cape Breton doesn't necessarily mean you will serve in a Cape Breton unit. Uh, Cape Bretoners were everywhere. In James's case, he was studying at St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish at the time, and he was uh, he was recruited uh, as someone who would go off and train at the Royal Military College in Ontario. Um, and being there, and I don't know how, how they, they parceled people out, but he was given a commission and he served with a number of different battalions, mostly from Ontario, and then he winded up with the 46th Battalion, which was out of South Saskatchewan. Um, but it just shows you that, you know, being from Cape Breton, you're not directly going to go into the Cape Breton Highlanders or even the Nova Scotia Highlanders. It just shows that you can go from everywhere. And I think it also shows that there's a lot of common background from many of the men and women from Cape Breton. Um, a lot of men who had served in the war were coal miners, steel workers, farm workers, etc. There's a lot of um, shared commonality in, in that sense. And it all really comes back to showing kind of what Cape Breton is and who the people from Cape Breton are. Well, thank you so much. And, and I think that's, uh, that's also interesting as um, for me, I've, I've worked around Canada and you meet people when I mention, oh, my, my father grew up in the Whitney Pier, you hear a last name and the next thing you know, you know, you're making common friends and it's, it's quite incredible. And I'm sure uh, a fellow uh, like James Arthur Murphy, I'm sure that reputation is, that Cape Breton identity is well known across Canada. Uh, thank you for that. My, qu my next question is sort of, you know, how how did you learn about James Arthur Murphy? Uh, I believe it was slightly touched upon that there were some letters donated to the Beaton. Uh, mm -hmm. How did this come to be? Could you get into that a little bit? Sure. So uh, in my my last year at Cape Breton University, 2016-2017, uh, I was working as an intern here in the in the Beaton Institute archives, and I was working on my thesis project. And initially, it was going to take a, a different uh, approach. I was going to focus on North Sydney and the First World War. And it was kind of also funny at the same time that doing this was just around the centenary of the Great War. Uh, 1916, 1917 being 2016, 2017. So it was kind of nice that things lined up that way. Um, and my research at the time was kind of slow. So then come January uh, 2017, still in my internship here, we received a donation of letters from a man from Margarita Murphy. Uh, he donated all these letters of, of former family members. Um, and the donation consisted of a lot of letters from one family in particular, uh, the Murphys, um, they consisted of, you know, letters from uh, James's father, uh, who also operated a farm business. So it was a lot of correspondence for that. But the bulk of it was correspondence for James himself. Uh, and there was a little bit, too, for he had a brother, too, who, who unfortunately uh, didn't make didn't live through the war. Um, but the bulk of the correspondence was about James uh, and writing back home to his parents and his siblings about uh, his time in the war. So at that point. Uh, speaking with my thesis advisor, I was like, you know, this this would be a really good shift to do. It wouldn't be a dramatic shift. It's still Cape Breton at war. So I uh, I made the change to do that, and then working through my internship and doing my research, I uh, it was it was quite an experience to go through his letters, truly. This is sort of an off the cuff uh, question, but how many uh, 
James Arthur Murphys do you think there are in Cape Breton? Like men and women with these stories that are just sitting in somebody's basement. Countless. Uh, it, it all comes down to how, how people treat records. Unfortunately, sometimes people often lose interest or don't care about family history. And it was a similar case with this where sometimes uh, what he what he had donated was a fraction of what had used to have been there. There, there were more that other family members were, were just actively discarding and he had saved this collection of letters that were probably sitting in an attic for God knows how many years because they were coated in dust sitting in a cardboard box. I mean, there was pieces of sunflower seeds and pieces of dead flies just kind of mixed in with the bunch. It was, yeah, it was definitely something that was sitting for a little while. Um, but it's the same idea that I think there's many families through Cape Breton that have records like this that, you know, they might cherish them within their family, um, but don't really uh, don't really understand that, you know, maybe we could donate these to another place like the Beaton Institute where uh, the story could really come to life, which was the case with, with Murphy. And at the same time, too, the, the Beaton Institute was also working on another project for, for Digital Museums Canada, um, where they featured four Cape Breton uh, servicemen and women. Um, one of them was was James Murphy because at the time they were trying to decide on who they wanted to include and where I was doing my research this was a, a good opportunity so he was the first World War soldier we can, can include him in the mix um, so it's kind of two things at the same time. Well, thank you so much that's a, a, a great little segue into my, my next question um, what do you think are the most important public takeaways from your presentation? So whether that's uh, with regard to uh, the trench raids and James Arthur Murphy or sort of what we were just talking about for people who have records, uh, what would you like to say to them? So I kind of see uh, two, two main points from this. Uh, one would be just uh, simply, like I mentioned, hearing a story of another Cape Breton at war. It's, it's another thing people can relate to. It's another thing people can understand about how Cape Breton uh, com contributed to the war through many of the servicemen and women who, who served. Um, but the other thing, like the full title of my thesis suggests, is that James' story paints more emphasis on trench raiding during the First World War, which is something that often gets glossed over. And even during my research, there was not a massive amount written. I mean, I'll, most of what is written goes over the, the war through its events and sometimes doesn't go into a lot of detail. Um, but what I had found was that, you know, this kind of trench rating was kind of, it was mainly a Canadian invention. Uh, it was something that was used to keep soldiers occupied. Uh, it was another, and it became more of a means to gain more information. Trench raids were, were small. Sometimes they got bigger. They would go over, they would gauge enemy defenses. They would see what morale was like. They would understand what, what kind of weapon placements, weapon placements were there. Um, so they could gain an understanding of it so that when there was a full assault, they would have more information. And this kind of thing was really uh, was really crucial for the planning for Vimy Ridge, which, as we know, is one of the most defining battles for the Canadian experience in the First World War. James's trench raiding was happening in February. And the, as we know, the big assault happened in, on Easter Monday in April 1917. Um, the planning and the raiding that had, was done in the lines at Vimy Ridge was, was essential into the how successful that the Canadians were on on those days, and it's, it's things like that that I like to talk about, and that it's where the name Forgotten Stories comes from. That it's something that kind of gets glossed over. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and kind of relating uh, your your paper and your presentation back to the greater theme of the conference, uh, how did you feel like uh, you were just talking about uh, the trench raids uh, and, James, and a little bit about James, but how, how do you think that connected back to the overarching themes of the conference and back to like Cape Breton the Island at War uh, with regard to some of the other presenters and what they were talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so looking at like the other presentations that had happened that session, I know there was a last minute change that kind of uh, swapped some presenters around, but I think it kind of turned out quite nice in the sense that all the presentations focused on Cape Bretoners at war, but each one provided a different angle of looking at it. So I looked at one individual who had served in the war, uh, another one focused on the unit. So there's one unit talking about the Cape Breton Highlanders. Is one unit one focused on looking at a specific location, so looking at Lewisburg and how that fit into Cape Breton at war. I mean, it doesn't focusly, it doesn't just focus on what one focuses on, you know, a number of different periods. And then another one focuses more on kind of the social impacts of such as war brides and what war does and how that brings more people, more, more people, more immigrants to to other countries, such as what's the case of Canada. Um, and I just think together. They, they they paint a nice mosaic of showing the many ways in which Cape Breton uh, participated uh, in different war times. Thank you so much. Uh, before we wrap up and let you go, uh, is there anything else you wanted to add that we uh, we didn't ask you or we haven't discussed yet, uh, or even anything you wanted to promote in general for any uh, uh, any research or things that you're working on at the Beaton? Yeah, um, like, I, like I think I might have mentioned before that this chapter was just one chapter out of, out of my whole thesis. Um, the whole thesis, I kind of go into a little bit more of uh, immigration history and kind of history of the Mercury area where, where the Murphys had lived. The chapter of war is kind of like the, the middle, middle part of the thesis. And then after that, I kind of go into Murphy's experiences afterwards. So what did he do? Where did he go? He ended up staying in Cape Breton for a short period of time, and then he eventually moved to the States to find work, and that's where he ended up living. I think he ended up living in, in Detroit, in Michigan, and that's where I think a lot of his descendants are, are still at now. I mean, there are still Murphys and Marguerite from what I understand. Uh, they're kind of spread around everywhere, but it's interesting to, to go through his whole life. Absolutely. And, and uh, you, that just sort of took me as a surprise because I now that I think back to the conference, uh, you you kind of ended. But you, I mean, you, obviously, you're telling the story of a man and you're trying to tell everything in the presentation in the conference. You can only there's only so many, you know, there's only so much uh, time you have to yeah. talk. But no, uh, Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing more about your presentation. Forgotten stories, James Arthur Murphy and the trench raids of Vimy Ridge. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So that wraps up our first episode focusing on the Highland Unit and the Island at War. Thank you once more to Mitchell Jabali and thank you to our listeners for their interest in this project. And stay tuned for part two of our four episode series on the Cape Breton Highlanders and the Shaping of Canada Conference. <laughs>